<laughs> Can <laughs> I just say thinking, one thing? Hold on. Yes. As yes. I'm talking, my microphone, which is slipping out of the duct tape, was going further and further <laughs> over. <laughs> That's hilarious. Welcome back to the Modern Lady Podcast. You're listening to episode 73. Hi, I'm Michelle. And I'm Lindsay, and today we are talking about silence. No one knows the struggle of having too much to say, like two homemakers with a podcast, am I right? But in a world saturated with noise, sometimes we forget the life-giving, soul-filling power of silence. Today, it feels like the commotion of the culture has truly reached a fevered pitch. And if you, like us, are becoming more aware of the call towards cultivating silence, then listen up. But first, if you enjoy this episode of the Modern Lady Podcast, please take a minute to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or whatever app you use to listen to podcasts. Your review can help the Modern Lady stand out so that others may find us too. Your comments mean the world to us. This week's shout out goes to Mrs. Apple Pie, who reviewed us on iTunes and said, quote, I stumbled upon these lovely ladies through another website, Theology of Home. I stumbled on that website because I loved its name. I thought they were American and was over the rainbow with unicorns flashing thrilled to find out they were Canadian and better yet, practically local and only about one hour away from me. I had no idea Canadian women were discussing topics like this. Topics of Catholicity and home and family and cleanliness compendiums. It was a homecoming of sorts. The Modern Lady Podcast is part of my theology of home. I have longed to be a stay-at-home mom for many years, and the silver lining of this quarantine has indeed turned me into the quarantine queen of my home. Although I am still working, I feel more like a stay-at-home mom more than ever. With these ladies in tote, I waltz around my home carrying out my daily life. I fold, wash, scrub, organize, and walk for health with them chatting in my ears. I do feel like I would want these charming women as my cherished friends. I have about 60 episodes of Catching Up, a good excuse to keep on homekeeping, end quote. Well, my goodness, thank you so much, Mrs. Apple Pie, for your comment. We were equally over the rainbow with unicorns flashing thrilled to meet a fellow Canadian lady who enjoys engaging in the conversation as much as we do. And if you would like to leave us a comment, you can do so on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com or you can leave us a comment on Facebook or Instagram where you can find us at The Modern Lady Podcast. But before we get into today's chat, Lindsay has our Modern Lady Tip of the Week. The social media world is stressful for many people on an average day, and now when you add in very serious topics and people that have been quarantined for several months, conversing with anyone via social media these days is pretty much like walking through a minefield. Believe it or not, it is still possible to disagree with someone or something that you've read online, and there is a way to do it with grace. According to the website www.inc.com, there are six ways to politely disagree with someone. Number one, focus on the facts. One of my favorite Ben Shapiro quotes is, facts don't care about your feelings. I want that tattooed like on my chest. Um, So do your research and know your stuff. This shows that you are placing logic over your emotions and it makes it clear that it isn't personal. Number two, and following that, don't get personal. 
You will want to avoid this at all costs, especially if this disagreement is happening at work. Your goal is to present your ideas well and not just tear apart the other person. Number three, recognize the good. It's important to recognize that there is always the chance that there is something that you can actually learn from the other person. And you can lead with something that you like that they already said before launching into your own argument. Number four, remember to listen. There is a difference, a huge difference between listening to the other person speak and just waiting for your chance to speak again. Number five, use I statements. Don't make it about the other person because they will immediately be on the defensive. This small step really does help remind the listener again that it isn't personal. And finally, number six, know when to walk away. Disagreements are unavoidable in life and sometimes there isn't an easy solution. And there are many times when an agreement won't be reached and it's perfectly fine to end the conversation with, it looks like we're going to have to agree to disagree. There's a reason why that's a classic sentence. Yeah, that those are so interesting. And I love that they all kind of circled back to the point of like, don't make it personal. Yeah. yeah. I think a lot of the times arguments don't start out personally, right? Yeah. And and yet that's often our go-to reaction to them is that this is a personal attack on us. But you think about some of the classic uh, philosophers who used to have these long discourses. Mm -hmm. I'm even talking like way back to Aristotle. um, When they would go back and forth about philosophy, life's big questions. And how were they able to talk back and forth and have these uh, probably sometimes major disagreements and continue on talking to each other? Like There must have been a way. And I think your tips are right. And they were able to separate the personal from the facts. I really think that we're in a stage right now that we feel like we actually aren't allowed to disagree with someone, right? Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. it's really hard to do that right now more than ever. But this is why I think it's a great chance to practice either researching your side more and knowing your facts, or like we're going to talk about today, knowing when to walk away. As singer Kenny Rogers once admonished in his song, The Gambler, quote, you've got to know when to hold him, know when to fold him, know when to walk away, and know when to run, end quote. Now, I know these lyrics are in the context of what sounds like an especially tense game of poker, but the same could be absolutely applied to today's current climate of noise, distraction, argument, and a very public rhetoric. Right, Lindsay? That's right, Michelle. This is a topic we've wanted to talk about actually since the beginning of the podcast. We have tossed around the the topic of silence many, Mm. many times. And we just thought this is such a nice way to finish up the conversation we had last week about when to be bold. And I started reading right now um, Cardinal Seurat's book, The Power of Silence. And I'm only, you know, the first couple sections in and it's blowing my mind. You and I were just joking earlier before we started recording about how the topic of silence, there's so much to say about silence. (laughs) A whole book's worth, apparently. Yeah, Yeah, multiple books. Um, But the way that Cardinal Sarah talks about it is just like what you were just saying with our great Kenny Rogers, God of mercy on his soul, quote, um, Cardinal Sarah says, talking about how noise has dehumanized us, it's called it's caused untold distress. He talks about how noise has filled the darkness, right? Our night times mm-hmm. aren't even quiet anymore if you live in a city. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of jobs that really force people to work surrounded by like incessant noise and chaos. This really started in the Industrial Revolution. 
So here's a quote from the book about this. Cardinal Seurat writes, without noise, man is feverish, lost. Noise gives him security, like a drug on which he becomes dependent. Agitation becomes a tranquilizer, a sedative, a morphine pump, a sort of reverie, an incoherent dream world. But this noise is a dangerous, deceptive medicine, a diabolical lie that helps man avoid confronting himself in his interior emptiness. The awakening will necessarily be brutal. So yeah, I really get where he's getting at. I never thought about how dehumanizing noise can be when we can't listen to, you know, one person speaking above the clatter and the chatter and the noise of the world around them. Yeah. Well, and you can kind of see this in a much, much less nefarious example. And um, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but often when we attend mass, it's with our families Mm -hmm. and there are children just, you know, any, any family will be able to tell you there's constant commotion. Mm -hmm. And those few times that I'm able to go to mass by myself, I think that I'm going to be able to focus and concentrate on all the things. And I actually find it much harder. And I'm always kind of surprised. I'm like, I can't concentrate because there's a lack of that buzzing in my ears. And so it's just always a telling reminder to me about how used to and how desensitized I am to a constant noise going on in the background yeah, and how uncomfortable it is to, to sit with that. And if this is kind of the way that it was meant to be that we were made for periods of silence in order to hear uh, the voice of God, to sit with our own thoughts, to really think on something, then, you know, this is a a topic that we should probably focus a little bit more on. Yeah. I used to pride myself on really enjoying silence before I got married and had kids. I really didn't have to have distractions on. I never had music playing all the time. And obviously this is before the time of smartphones. Um, so there wasn't those kinds of distractions. I had one little TV that I never had on and I used to love the silence. And I have found that as my life grew noisier with joyful noise, as we say that children make, um, Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. The way I escape the noise, the noise, the voices of four children is to go down to one voice in my earbuds, right? With a, with a podcast right. on <laughs> that's like as close <laughs> to silence as I can get. And I really have, like he's saying, actually turned to that kind of to calm myself down. Mm-hmm. I've turned to mm-hmm. one voice from four as, as a tranquilizer to use his words. And I didn't realize that until I was reading that. And I thought, when was the last time I have had actual silence. And what we'll talk about in a little bit more is that silence isn't necessarily the absence of noise or the absence of speaking, that it's an interior condition. But Mm -hmm. there was one more thing that there was a quote also in the book, but this one's by Thomas Merton. And he wrote in his book, The Sign of uh, Jonas, quote, silence is not a virtue and noise is not a sin. True. But the turmoil and confusion of constant noise of modern society are the expression of ambience of the ambience of its greatest sins, its godlessness, its despair. A world of propaganda, of endless argument, criticism, or simply of chatter is a world without anything to live for. And I have to say, as soon as I read that quote, I was taken right back to having just read Fahrenheit 451. Mm -hmm. And that futuristic world that they put in the book is a world of constant chatter. 
constant, like mindless chatter. And it's the four walls of the TV. They pop in their little earphones at night, long before earphones were invented. And they listen to just like mumbling. And the TV shows don't even make sense. Like it's just mumbling Mm -hmm. and like your name, they actually can insert your name into it. And then you think you're hearing all of the stuff. It's this like, yeah, background noise. And so I thought, man, that was in a dystopian novel. And, you know, I've talked a lot lately about dystopian oh, novels again. Uh-huh. and um, <laughs> how it's all coming true. But yeah, it's this idea of so many voices, again, that you can't pick out the true message and stuff. So this is what we really want to get to today. The heart of it, of, of this is that you want to cancel out all of that chatter and really focus on the only voice that really matters, which is God's voice. Mm-hmm. True. Because it will numb you, like mm-hmm. you're saying, right? It will numb you to hearing what is important. You know, we have these things playing. We seek our entertainment. A lot of it is very boisterous and in your face. Um, and then we have a real interior restlessness, but we don't want to face it. So we yeah. just seek more noise <laughs> to cancel it out. And so the spiral continues. And the, the goal is to break that spiral and to find true interior peace. He took a journey in the book, Colonel Sarah, with the um, co-author of the book. And I was telling you about it earlier. And if for no other reason, I knew you'd love this book when they were describing <laughs> this monastery in the Chartreuse Mountains in France, right? And this mm-hmm. parts of the monastery were built in the 12th century. And it is the Cartusian, um, I think. I don't have the book mm-hmm. in front of me, Order of Monks. And they take a vow of silence. And Colonel Sarah goes to visit them. And the snow is falling. It's nighttime. The monks are hooded. They are taken up into the mountains. The snowflakes are fat and soft and slow. And he's taken through these 12th century cloistered hallways, you know, and Mm -hmm. to pray the divine office after midnight and darkness. And I'm reading it. Everything in me is calling out for that. I'm like, what I wouldn't give to experience that. And so while on the surface, it would appear that we we need to travel to a cloistered community like that or to the desert or to a cave, right, in order Mm. to escape the noise of this world, it's just not possible for the absolute vast majority of of us. And so we need to learn how to cultivate then, like you were talking about earlier, this escape within our heart, a place to retreat to, especially Mm. when you've got you know, eight kids between us, four kids and our house is smaller than 1700 square feet. So it is quite loud here. And I remember listening to now St. Teresa of Calcutta, Mother Teresa, um, Mm -hmm. talking about praying in Calcutta and how she was able to do that. Whenever people would go visit her, they'd watch her deeply in prayer and the noises, like we can't even imagine the street sounds of Calcutta and, and they'd Mm -hmm. be praying right with open doors and windows, right? Like on street level. And it's so loud. And she just said, you just pray. You just have to, like, you just carve out that, that quiet place within yourself. So this book so far is outstanding because it does really walk you through on how to do that. But you Mm -hmm. create the desert or the cloister within your own heart. Mm, I love that. Yeah, I've never thought of that before, that the noise that Mother Teresa would have experienced would have been much different than what we experience here. And yet, yeah, she was able to do that. Mm -hmm. And St. Francis de Sales also talks about this in his introduction to the devout life. And he says, quote, the silence so much commended by wise men of old does not refer so much to a literal use of few words as to not using many useless words. Mm -hmm. End quote. So yet we don't deal in extremes. Uh, 
usually in our lives, right? Yeah. And so we sometimes can't achieve complete and utter silence. Uh, or if if we do, you should probably go check what's happening downstairs <laughs> if you're a <laughs> yeah. mom. <laughs> yeah. Because that's suspect. Um, however, the, you know, some the incessant chatter that we yep. sometimes can get carried away with in our culture. That is what becomes tedious, according to St. Francis. So yeah, learning how to balance that. Balance is key. That's right. Um, my brother-in-law is a very quiet man. He's very soft-spoken. It, you have to lean in to listen. Uh, he doesn't really participate in that kind of chatter. But let me say, when he opens his mouth, everybody stops, mm. right? And mm-hmm. leans in and like, what's he going to say? Versus yeah. me, <laughs> who just talks <laughs> the entire I time. I really admire that in people because I'd love and I'm trying to work towards that. I want to move away from chatter. And Mm -hmm. I really have done a lot of reflection on this. And I think that there are some people who chatter because they're nervous about the silence. Like they don't want there to be a silence. I just have a Mm. lot to say. (laughs) Thank you, podcast. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I definitely still want to, I see the great value when someone who doesn't say a lot does finally open their mouth to say something, I want to reach that. And like mm-hmm. what you were just saying, there's, there's another quote here. It says the silent man is no longer a sign of contradiction. He is just one man too many. Someone who speaks has importance and value. Whereas another man who keeps quiet gets little consideration. The silent man is reduced to nothingness. The simple act of speaking imparts value. Do the words make no sense? It makes no difference. Noise has acquired the nobility that silence once possessed. And that's Cardinal Seurat Mm. again. Wow. Yeah, that makes me think about, you know, the the whole strong, silent type Mm -hmm. (laughs) that you talk about. Like, um, yeah, you you look for the the strong, silent type. But you're right. That doesn't seem to be what the culture right now is going for. But it's true when someone who doesn't say very much, who has that confidence that they Mm -hmm. don't have to defend themselves unnecessarily, right? When they do stand up and finally open their mouths to speak, that is a huge, uh, admirable quality. And the way that we are being, what we are being told today is that that is weakness. Right. Right. That to be quiet, to be silent is weakness, let alone like acquiescence. (laughs) Yeah. which is simply not true. It wasn't true back then. It could have meant a, men- a number of different things. You were thinking on things further. You realized the conversation was not being productive anymore. You wanted to salvage your relationship with the person mm-hmm. and were willing to just let this one go. Um, and those are all far more noble uh, yeah. than what we are being said silence is now today. When you talk about the strong, silent type, I mean, only one man pops into my head, and that is St. Joseph. Mm. <laughs> like, oh, yes. Preach. You know that, yeah, you know that St. <laughs> Joseph quote, which is just the image with the two quotation marks and the blank space in the middle? <laughs> yes. I love that meme so much. Yes. <laughs> you know, we all know that Mary is mostly silent in scripture, but when she does speak up, those words mm-hmm. are very important and whole countless books have been written about the few things mm-hmm. she says in scripture. You know, mm-hmm. we're called to model our families after the Holy family, but what I find so interesting is there's almost silence coming from the Holy family for 30 years for the first 30 years. <laughs> and we're like, okay, all right, we're supposed to do what you guys are doing. Um, but for 40, for those 30 years, Jesus's life was lived privately. And while we can be mm-hmm. certain that he spoke and, and lived a quote, quote, normal life during that time. Um, We don't know much about those years. 
I mean, you know, Jesus Christ is the son of God. You think that every mm-hmm. single word he would have uttered should have been written down. So it's really interesting, especially considering that one of his titles is the word, right? Like it just right. seems like this <laughs> silence is really, really important. An article on Adoramus.com mentioned Jesus's time in Nazareth saying, quote, Jesus recapitulated within his holy and sanctifying humanity, all the ordinariness of human natures and vocations. By doing so, the hidden life at Nazareth allowed everyone to enter into fellowship with Jesus by the most ordinary events of daily life. This is also written about in our catechism of the Catholic Church. Our interior cloister should be animated with the knowledge that no matter where we are or what we're doing, Christ is with us in the silence of Nazareth during those 30 years. Do you know what? This is true. It kind of even goes into Jesus's ministry as an adult, right? And of course, he talks quite a lot more (laughs) during those three years in his adulthood. But at the same time, there were even times then when he he wasn't just going around uh chattering at people Mm -hmm. you know he as well chose his words very carefully but even then you still had instances where people like the pharisees would try to trap jesus you know in these questions toxic conversations and questions all the time they would deliberately ask him things that they felt he wouldn't be able to answer well Mm -hmm. or or and be able to answer in the way that they felt would fit the narrative yeah. going on right now, right? And turn the people against him. Uh, of course, being God, he did, in fact, thwart them every time. <laughs> but later on in the Gospels, Jesus also says that if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you as well. Mm-hmm. And so we should expect this throughout all the rest of history between Jesus and now, this trying to balance between when to speak up, when to stay quiet, even when you're being baited, even when you feel like you have to say something, you're obliged to say something. Yeah, That's not always necessarily the case. And one of the first examples of that would be the Gospels. Yeah. There are plenty of times where our silence speaks volumes and, and that can go good way or bad mm-hmm. way, right? That that's yes. been used in both circumstances where when you're not saying something and there's a horrific thing happening in humanity, it seems like you're clearly falling to one side versus the other, but it's not always in the negative. There are times where the silence is noble. And when you do finally collect yourself and have done a little bit of research and can say something, um, you will say things that, you know, people will really perk up and listen to perhaps, but the pressure to say something, I feel like right now is more than ever because we all have these megaphones, right? This, the social Mm -hmm. media is the great megaphone of, of being able to say all the things immediately to everybody else. And so the pressure to speak is immense, but that choosing to not speak isn't always that doesn't always mean that you just agree with, you know, maybe the bad things that are going on. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. And, you know, I mentioned before, I'm still reading the Benedict Option. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's been a while uh, and I'm working my way through it. But it talks about this in the context. This is in the context of work. So in the workplace. Right. Um, and just kind of going on to say that a lot of workplaces are growing more and more uh progressive, we'll say, Mm -hmm. and perhaps further and further away from some of the values we may hold to as Christians Mm -hmm. and what to do in those situations, right? And it says um, in one section, it says that silence does not always mean acquiescence. And in some cases, it may be a wiser and more loving approach. Silence can be a shield. And then Rod Dreher, the author, goes on to say that we should never deny our faith. 
but that that doesn't mean we are obliged to be in your face about it either. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the key word for me that I'm seeing someone ignored today, especially in the context of social media, like the, the world's soapbox, we'll call it, (laughs) is the word obliged. You know, as Catholics, we may seem to be obliged to a great many things in life. And that's true. But saying things specifically on social media was never a requirement of faith from either scripture or from the magisterium. Wait, it doesn't say in the Bible that you should say something on Facebook about something. (laughs) (laughs) If thou does not tweet us such. (laughs) Uh, I do not know thee. No. (laughs) Things Jesus never said. Hashtag. See, we're cool. We can walk the line. We can balance. We're cool. Yeah. That's right. And and so like for a lot of people, their real life is not on Instagram. Yeah. Right. So how do you know? And it made me think of that saying, right? If a tree falls in the forest and no one is around to hear it, did it make a sound? We could almost rewrite that for today and say, if you have an opinion, but choose not to voice it publicly right now or ever, does that mean your opinion is wrong or worthless or worse that you are? Right. And personally, when it comes to uh, public declarations and official statements, I personally don't think so. That's right. Yeah. Or like what you were saying, not always. And to really grow in wisdom, going back to mm-hmm. our episode on the Holy Spirit, of knowing when those situations are the case, right? right? Because, yes, of course, we, we know that there have been atrocities throughout history and even going on today that really do need our voice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you and I have alluded to the fact that we want to address right now that retreat isn't always a sign of weakness. And that it is also courageous and bold in some cases. According to the website, elephantconversations.com, there are some telltale signs that a conversation has gotten out of control and that perhaps it's time to walk away. But what I love most about this article is that the author named Diane Ross, not Diana Ross. (laughs) (laughs) Important clarification. Yes. Also a a good writer. Um, But Diane Ross said, the one thing you need to remember here is that you have so much more power and control than you think you do. And you can Mm -hmm. maintain that power by staying calm and focused. And the way you and I seek to be calm and focused is by silencing ourselves and turning towards God. But it is really important that you still control the situation and you still have a lot of power there, even if you're choosing to walk away. And that's Mm. for somebody like me who has a lot of pride and feels like I need to say something about all the things. um, It's really hard for me to walk away because I do feel like I'm giving an in, but I've learned like what we're saying here, that that is not always the case. And that sometimes I love what you said about sometimes that is an effort to preserve the relationship. And that's Mm -hmm. a big step. Like that's a big sign of love and charity towards the people that we're friends with. Right. And, you know, when we talk about the end doesn't justify the means, Mm -hmm. that goes for conversations too, right? Like you could maybe, maybe possibly (laughs) in an infinitesimal scale, (laughs) convince somebody by your badgering them, you know, (laughs) but then where would that leave your friendship? Probably in tatters, right? And if the the point of everything is love, then probably a good percentage of our conversations should stop way before we end them. This is why I will always go. I always prefer hard conversations in person. Mm -hmm. I need to see your face. I need to look in your eyes if that's possible. Yeah. (laughs) If, If we're close, if we live locally. Right. For me personally, that's why I shy away often from sharing, um, my opinions on something online. Right. 
Be- not because I'm scared of someone's response uh, and doubting it, but I really would like to have a charitable conversation. And I find that it's really impeded by the medium of social media. Absolutely. So you and I are longing for the long form. That's what I entitled yes. this section of my notes. But I love what you said about wanting to get together in person. You know, social media is, social media is all about immediacy. We were talking about this mm-hmm. a lot in the last couple of days. And I'm always shocked still after all this time and amazed by how within seconds, right, you can get a responses mm-hmm. to something you mm-hmm. posted. And these are like my busy mom friends who have a thousand things to do or a celebrity. Or I can't even tell you how many times I've watched like a BBC documentary on something and then tweeted the presenter. Or I read a book mm-hmm. and I've written to the author and I've gotten an immediate response from them on Twitter. Like never before have we been so accessible and Mm -hmm. it's just stokes within this, the the desire that we've had for the last couple generations for instant gratification. And it's really, really fast moving, right? These communications Mm -hmm. are really fast. Did you ever watch Gilmore Girls? Were you a Gilmore Girls fan? I did not, but I think I know what you're getting at. <laughs> the talking. The, the speed of their <laughs> their chatting. Yes. yes. I mean, they were made. For, legendary. Yes, legendary. They were, I forget how many extra words they had in a script than a normal script, but you can mm. look that up. But they were, it's like they're the personification of Facebook and, and Instagram and Twitter. And some people can't keep up and that's fine. And they just enjoy scrolling and being like, oh, cool. Beach photo, kid photo, dog photo, cool recipe. <laughs> and then they just move on and just connect. But for many of us. Um, Get out of my head. <laughs> <laughs> for the rest of us, we want to engage in all of those fast moving conversations. And I think mm. what you and I are starting to kind of feel is that perhaps that's not the right way to go about it anymore. <laughs> Hmm. Well, the problem with immediacy is that you don't have time to think. Mm. And we were given brains to think on things. Yeah. Right. And I know you were you were educating me on Twitter because I only very recently joined Twitter mm-hmm. and I'm fascinated by it, but I don't participate in it yeah. whatsoever. So I, I don't have any of those sentiments towards tweeting. Um, but you were saying that, like, if you are... Uh, like not immediately responding to something, mm-hmm. you respond a little, even a little bit later than when the tweet originally went up. You're, it's almost laughable. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Which is crazy to me because, especially when we're talking about some of these bigger issues, don't they require some thought mm-hmm. sometimes? Like maybe it requires some thought. And then, you know, we're so used to it now and it pervades so many areas of our lives and our relationships that we think a non response, a not remediate immediate response is like um, ignoring you, neglecting you, trying to avoid the conversation. You have some sort of like evil opinion you're trying to hide from the world. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Throwing things out there, right? Right. When in fact, the problem is that you're expecting something too fast from someone who needs to think please and thank you. Yeah. And I'm married to one of those people. Uh, You're one of those Mm -hmm. people, right? And I'm one Mm -hmm. of those tweet it without thinking about it, comment quickly, get in the fray of things. I'm like, Oh, I want to say something too. And um, I actually loved if we go back to what Cardinal Seurat said in that one point that do the words make no sense? It makes no difference. I mean, that could be my (laughs) slogan. (laughs) Like he he looked right at me through the, the book. And I'm just like, I've got something to say, but I love, you said, 
big ideas, big topics. And this mm -hmm. is, I, I've been thinking about this too. There are huge topics being talked about right now. Topics about things that go back centuries, right? right. Like right. topics about things that are just so beyond our everyday scope that a mom can't just write 140 characters in, in between throwing some muffins in the oven. Like we're yeah. going to make mistakes. And when it's down on social media for everybody to see, I mean, it, you're just setting yourself up for disaster. And so mm -hmm. I think what you and I are wanting to say is that we think that maybe it's time that these big ideas and these big things need to be talked about in smaller ways. And I mm. have seen that one of the benefits of the quarantine, and you and I actually talked about this on our like going forward after the quarantine episode, which we're getting mm. closer to, right? <laughs> <Woo -hoo. laughs> um, is that I think the world has gotten smaller again. You know, this return to staying home and we're wanting to support local and small businesses. We're talking on the phone again. <laughs> so right. you can hear people's actual voices. And I know a lot of us are making a lot of plans, like real plans about getting together once we can all get together again, not just that we'll see you sometime this summer. Like we were hungering for human interaction. Mm. I think for me, it's again, going back to having uh, as close to in-person conversations as possible. Mm -hmm. um, and then between one or two, one-on-one -on -one yep. or just a small group of people so that voices can really be heard. Right. Yeah. And it's, I feel much more comfortable making people feel comfortable <laughs> if I'm in their vicinity, yeah. right? Uh, but more for me, what I want to focus back on is that when I find that I'm too busy or life is too noisy and I've been kept from what we're saying, the long form mm -hmm. for too long, that when we talk about the long form, we're talking about actual books yeah. <laughs> as opposed to articles on the internet and headlines right? or first paragraph of an article that you don't even read that's the rest of. right <laughs> yeah so that's an example of what we're talking about in the long form if i'm kept from the long form for too long mm -hmm. um my mind works in curating yeah. and in connecting right? So you can say something. And even if I disagree, usually I can call to mind a quote from a movie or something I read in a book once that I can say back to you that will make you feel heard, mm -hmm. right? And then I can probably call to mind something else that I've read in a different book that will uh, adequately explain my point, but perhaps in a better way than I can respond to in the heat of the moment right. with my own words. If I'm kept for too long from reading and from experiencing thoughts um put onto a, a bigger source or bigger platform yep. i'm just regurgitating headlines then yeah. and that's not helpful yeah. it's not educational nobody's learning nobody is seeking to understand or connect and i find that hugely stressful and for me anyways i would rather just not engage if that's all i have to offer so for me, stepping back and especially like when we take breaks and stuff, even in the podcast, sometimes I need to refresh and refill yeah. my long form banks yeah. <laughs> so that I can make those connections again. So yeah, that reminds me of the buckets that my kids learned about mm. in elementary school and kindergarten. Did you, did you learn about the buckets that you need your oh, kids, yes. right? Pouring yes, out of their bucket the bucket and then you had to fill mm. their bucket. And yeah, I feel like my bucket's empty and I think you're feeling that too. And yeah. we love taking in new information and taking it in at that speed 
just reading some little snippets on Facebook or even seeing like Instagrams become incredibly political or, or Twitter, it's not enough for me to fill that bucket. Like you need a lot more tiny snippets of information to fill that bucket, right. Versus long form Mm -hmm. information. And so we're both hungering for like reading longer books. You and I are both already voracious readers, but we're like, where's that extra time to read all the books we want to read? And the time is there. We're just mm-hmm. filling it up by scrolling past those pictures of <laughs> beaches and puppies and funny videos. And I'm just feeling that it's not just about seeking silence to walk away from social media right now, um, just for the sake of walking away from social media, but it's about filling, like you're saying, that vacuum, that like the vacuum has to be filled. And so we mm-hmm. want to fill that with more knowledge, more prayer, but longer versions of what people are trying to say. I want to hear you. I want to hear your, your thoughts on this. Right. And if you're feeling the same way, like if any of our listeners are feeling in a similar way, you want to fill your bucket. I just have a thought um, from the Benedict Option again, where uh, Rod Dreyer says, you know, if you don't control your own attention, there are plenty of people eager to do it for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, wow, how true that is. And this can be true even when you're reading or listening in the long form. And we see that from the, you know, fictional and very real disdain for books at various points in history, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But I suspect it's probably a heck of a lot easier for a mind to be controlled by the short blasts of information that we get on the internet than if you have to sit and read a whole book and then gasp, discuss it (laughs) in a friendly, purposeful way with another person. Like someone's not... or the world is not waiting at your elbow for you to finish that last page and say, okay, tell me exactly your thoughts. P.S. This is going to live forever on the internet and we may call upon it at any time Mm -hmm. (laughs) to try to catch you in something else, right? So yeah, if you don't control your own attention, if you don't take control back of what is going into your mind and limiting with boundaries uh, your time to sit with it and think on it and reflect on it, then there are many people and um, organizations who have direct access to your mind right now, and they'd be more than happy to tell you what to think and how to think it. Okay, it's time for our What We're Loving This Week segment of the show. So Lindsay, what have you been loving this week? Well, Michelle, you introduced me to a podcast a few weeks ago called Grow Yourself, which is actually three separate words. So not to be confused with like a motivational grow yourself, (laughs) Tony Robbins-esque podcast, right? Grow Yourself. And it's a podcast by Nicole Burke. And you told me that she had an episode about how kitchen gardens are the new victory gardens. Mm -hmm. And you know how much I love World War II and all things home front. And so while I'm not a gardener at all, I was really drawn in simply at first by her voice and then by her original content. You also said she had one about the history of the grocery stores. And again, ding, ding, love history. So I just started (laughs) listening. Now you said last week that you, that the uh, Divine Intimacy podcast Mm -hmm. is like your hygge of podcasts. (laughs) And I've started listening to, and I totally love it and know what you mean, but this podcast is my hygge. Now Mm -hmm. I have to say saying this now, I I have to reflect back on the episode where we just recorded (laughs) about how I'm filling my ears with something to calm me down. (laughs) So I promise all of you that I will reflect on this 
going forward. <laughs> um, but it is incredibly calming. <laughs> yes. And it inspired me to start our own get- our own garden, our own kitchen garden. And we've never done this before. And can I just say yes. that I ate a salad today for <gasps> lunch that was entirely lettuce from my own garden. Isn't and I, I can't it, even. Isn't it empowering? Mm-hmm. Isn't it? I did it. Did I did it, it Michelle. <laughs> and then you ate it. <laughs> I did. And then I marinated our chicken breasts and my own like fresher herbs. And it was just incredible. And so I really, really love escaping. It feels like you're escaping into her garden as she's talking. And yeah, I've told several people about her podcast mm-hmm. and I've made the conscious decision right now to fight against the dictatorship of noise, which happens to be the subtitle of Cardinal Seurat's book, mm. The Power of Silence. So I'm really trying when I am choosing to listen to something right now, which is not as frequently as it was before. Things that not only educate me, but that do bring me that little bit of peace in an already loud life. So I don't know if we can just cut off to silence immediately, right? Yes. We do have to wean off. So I'm weaning off with these very calm, nice podcasts right now. Well, and you know what, as a side note, that is what we were saying at the very beginning of the episode, right? Silence mm-hmm. doesn't mean the total absence of noise. I think right. it means more you're you're being a little more deliberate about Mm -hmm. what you're letting in and when. And I think a very soothing gardening podcast is the (laughs) perfect (laughs) anecdote to some of the noise that's going on in the world. You're fine. That's awesome. Thank you. So what have you been loving this week? Well, Lindsay, you're traveling Mm -hmm. through another dimension, a dimension (laughs) not only of sight and sound, but of mind, a journey into a wondrous land whose boundaries are that of imagination. That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop, the twilight zone. Yes. <laughs> so, yes, that's right. What I'm loving this week is the classic TV show, The Twilight Zone, hosted mm-hmm. by Rod Serling. Now, I first remember watching The Twilight Zone with my dad when I was recovering from having my wisdom teeth removed, <laughs> <laughs> which, in retrospect, was a really trippy show to watch yeah, yeah. <laughs> while you're waiting for anesthesia to wear off. But that was my first foray, and I loved it then. I really couldn't find it again online or otherwise until now when you recommended the CBS All Access app Mm -hmm. and that the whole series is on there. So that's our show now for when the kids go to bed. Now, I really like this show because to me, it really showcases the power of good storytelling. I love good storytelling. Um, The show is still black and white. There's no real special effects going on. Very few actors in many Mm -hmm. of the episodes, right? Mm -hmm. But by using light and music and well-written dialogue, these episodes really weave amazing plot lines and stories, and all within half an hour. And that would be really hard to find today on TV. Um, And then beyond that, one other thing I love about The Twilight Zone is that much of the sci-fi fantasy genre in general is their ability for them to have really good, deep conversations about difficult issues. And you see this too in shows like Star Trek, right? They did a lot of that. And it's because the setting of the show is so unrealistic that it kind of suspends your knee-jerk reaction of defense, like being offended or being defensive, um, that we may have in response to not wanting to talk about hard topics. And so, you know, The Twilight Zone is a great example of that, of the creative use of the genre to address some controversial talking points. And I appreciate that. Okay, that's going to do it for us this week. And actually, on that point, 
that's going to do it for us for this season. This is indeed the last episode of the Modern Lady Podcasts season two, and we are going to take a, a much needed summer break <laughs> over the next few weeks. We'll be in touch and you can chat with us about our topic today or any of the episodes on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com or leave us a comment on Facebook or Instagram at The Modern Lady Podcast. We will be back before you know it uh, to start season three and we can't wait. We've got buckets to fill, buckets to fill with books, sand, water, beer, chicken. <laughs> We have very important buckets to fill. <laughs> That's where we'll be. All right. I'm Michelle Sachs, and you can find me on Instagram at mmsachs. And I'm Lindsay Murray, and you can find me on Instagram at lindsayhomemaker. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great week. Have a great summer. And we will see you next time. Mm-hmm.